0: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.
1: Well, as predicted by me on this show, Australia ran away with the first test in (laughs) dominant fashion. Don't check the tape. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Andrew Mentzel. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, we should be watching the, the test right now, but it's already done.
2: What a game. I mean, it was um, it was looking like Australia were, were facing a bit of an uphill battle. I remember you and me at the end of day one where Australia were three for 98 in reply to Sri Lanka's uh, 212. We were both thinking it was an even money bet. And what was it? Straight away on day two, uh, Travis Head got out pretty quickly and yep. then it was just um, – it was looking as though it was going to be one of these familiar situations in the subcontinent. And then – I just thought that Cameron Green was was marvellous. I don't think Sri Lanka bowled especially. I think their field settings were to him were poor. That were they were allowing him to take allowing him to take um, too many singles, and he said, "Yeah, sure, I'll take them all day long." And he and Kerry and of course Kawaja, uh, and then Cummins hitting a bit at the end got Australia up to three hundred and twenty-one. And I think then Sri Lanka, as we kind of foreshadowed last show, they they kind of felt victim to their own. Um, You know, they're hoisted by their own petards to use a cliche, that because the pitch was spinning so much, you know, Travis Head started to to look like an off-spinning version of Shane Warne. And um, once it gets, the pitch gets, when when Travis Head is bowling unplayable balls, then
1: uh, anything can happen. And yeah, it was uh, a really good win in the end. I mean, th- the th- we'll, we'll get into more details, but the day three was bizarre. It started the day with Australia batting and by lunch, Australia had won the test by 10 wickets. Sorry, they were batting in their first innings and by lunch, they'd won the test by 10 wickets. I mean, I, I was—I kind of, felt like I was tripping or something. Like every every time you looked away, there was another Sri Lankan wicket. I, I'd go up to make a cup of tea and come back and they'd have lost two more wickets. Well, I
2: actually, I was, I was working and I had the uh, the cricket... Uh, I was in a media blackout. As soon as I finished work, I was going to watch it. And then you sent a message, and I saw it from you, but I didn't want to read it because I thought it might contain the score. So I got my daughter. So I said to her, can you just check that there's nothing urgent in that message? And she said, "Now all he's saying is, do you want to record a podcast tonight? And I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> This is
1: interesting. <laughs> and then I couldn't resist looking at the score. I couldn't believe that the game was already all over. <laughs> uh, incredible. Uh, well, look, let's go back to the beginning of the Test match. There was a lot of speculation about uh, the Australian team selection. I guess um, would Head or Maxwell playing in the end. They went for Head. Um, so, yeah, what did you think of the batting order?
2: Um, I, I made the point on Twitter that I had no problems with Head playing because I, I like him. And um, I just think that they had to find a way to get Maxwell in the side. You know, they'll say, we won, who cares? Um, the, the results justify that. But I just think that Maxwell deserved a spot in the side. And I, I still think we went in with one fast bowler, at least one fast bowler too many. And uh, I, I think that you look at the next test, who do you think is going to be more effective let's just say Mitchell Stark or Glenn Maxwell in the side, I'd much rather Glenn Maxwell in the side than, than Mitchell Stark. And I think that that's no slight on Mitchell Stark. It's just that if that first pit test um, was spinning sharply, and I presume they're going to use uh, – um, it's not going to be the same pitch, obviously, but it's going to be a v- very similar pitch in the, sa- in the same venue. Then do we really want to go in with um, two fast bowlers, plus Cameron Green, who didn't even get a bowl – um, you know, collectively for the match, Stark and Cummins bowled 21 overs. So, I think that there is, you know, uh, there is a case for saying we, we need to, to get rid of one of the fast bowlers.
1: Well, yeah, Cummins didn't even bowl in the second inning, so uh, uh yeah, it was Ran. So, Rana Paveen, uh, was very unhappy, he t- tweeted me. Um, almost like I should sack you from the show. He says, sorry, has love the show, but cannot agree with Paul's comment about dropping Cummins, averaged like 22 in Pakistan and in conditions where every other bowler averaged more than 30 except Nazim Shah, who missed a test. So I guess if that, you go on. Well, I was going to say, I wasn't saying so much as to drop Cummins, but that,
2: that they should be willing to consider dropping him and not picking him solely because he was the captain. And I think that, I mean, Cummins, as I've said in other shows, is on his his way to potentially becoming the best uh, fast bowler Australia has had maybe ever. Um, That's how good his record is. So, yeah. Uh, I absolutely agree. His record is absolutely superb, and he bowled really well in the in the few overs that he bowled. A few of those balls in those in that in those first overs that he bowled, I thought, if this pitch had anything in it for the quicks, they would have been um, getting edges, and he would have been taking wickets. And uh, you know, for the match, what he bowled twelve overs, one for twenty five. There's no, absolutely nothing wrong yeah. with that. So uh, it's pretty much um, his stock standard performance, which is fantastic. He batted quite well as well. So. Um, I was more just making the point that they've got to be willing to be flexible and that the captaincy shouldn't hold this enormous um, uh, thou-must-not-drop-ever uh, situation. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that, again, also the fact that Cameron Green didn't get a bowl is is reasonably significant because I think he'd be fairly handy on that, but there's just no cause for him
1: to bowl. Mm. Uh, I think it's... Um bad news for Maxwell because I actually don't think he'll play in this series now. I think the Australians will go in with the same team. I just think it's the Australian way. Don't change a winning team. Travis Head took those wickets. Green scored the runs. you got Cummins the skipper. Stark can bowl with the, um, you know, we reverse swing if it, ever, if it gets that far. So I actually think, unfortunately, we won't see Maxwell at all in this series.
2: Yeah, and again, I, 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 I'm sure you're right. And I just think it's sort of muddled thinking that that um, that you're better, rather than looking at the existing side and saying who can we change. You should pick the best eleven and then what, you know however the cards fall they fall. And Maxwell's in our best
1: eleven, especially in Sri Lankan conditions. Mm. And, and then moving uh, sort of forward to the Australian spin bowling makeup, there was some. Um, discussion that John Holland might pip Mitchell Swepson for the spot, but then Holland had an injury cloud, and I think uh, they went with the incumbent Mitchell Swepson, who I thought bowled well. Uh, what did you think of Swepson over the others?
2: Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't have picked him, um, but there's not a lot to choose from. Like Holland hasn't been all that impressive at Test level, and with the injury. Kuhneman's very uh, uh, inexperienced. I do like a left-arm orthodox spinner in Sri Lankan conditions. Having said that, I thought that there's Embuldenia, who'd been so good against England uh, when England were the last there. I, I think that was the difference in the, in the matches. That if, you, if you imagine last time around Australia, were are facing Emble um, Embuldenia bowled terribly. He was pitching the ball too full, uh, looked impotent on that pitch that anyone could take wickets on. Uh, so th- I think they need to make a change there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I and bowled well. He, he picked up wickets. He, he can't do much more than that. In, in, and fair enough, too, because he had a, a – ser- in Pakistan, the conditions were very, very difficult for anyone to get wickets. So you deserve some
1: um, swings and roundabouts and to get a nice pitch to take some wickets on. Yeah, I think it would have been unfortunate for Swepson to have been you know, taken around the world as part of the touring squad for a few years, uh, playing Pakistan, as you say, in very unfriendly conditions. And then you get to a ragging Turner and they say, it's all right, mate, we're going to arrest you. I mean, he's probably thinking, well, if you're not going to play me here, you're never going to play me.
2: It would have been unfortunate. But again, that's not the way to pick the sides. It's a big business. Who cares if it's unfortunate? If he's not good enough, don't don't pick him. You've got to be more like Sir Alex Ferguson,
1: Menace. Well, this is where I think we're going to get into an argument because I think that we're seeing with the George Bailey era, and a little bit under Justin Langer, but more under Bailey, that they are sort of treating incumbency with more respect. And you and I know when we grew up, the the Australian test side, once you're in there, if you were performing, you know, it was really hard to get you out. They didn't just drop you on a whim unless you're Dean Jones. But um, now it seems like... Bailey's going back to that. If you've earned your spot, unless you fuck it up, then they're not going to chuck you out. And And I don't like. It was a mistake. I I disagree.
2: It it was proven wrong back in the day. The reason that we were so successful back in the day was not because we kept Mark Taylor 25 test matches after he should have been dropped and didn't pick Matthew Hayden for years and didn't pick Adam Gilchrist for years and never gave Michael Bevan a proper run at test level. And all the mistakes we made because of the ridiculous respect for incumbency, it's because we had a, you know, a generationally brilliant Group of cricketers, and so um, it would have been very unfortunate for Mitchell Swepson to to not make the Test match. And I'm happy that he did, I'm and happy,
1: I'm happy that he did well. But that's not the way you pick the side. Pick the best eleven. It's not a kindergarten. Mm, but I don't. You, I think that there is something to um, you know fostering a good environment in the dressing room, making players feel confident so they can go out there and play their natural game, play a bit of baseball, hit you know play some reverse sweeps. And so I actually think respecting incumbency and giving players a bit of confidence that they can, um, you know, they'll hold their spot if they perform is actually not a bad thing. I mean, you know, I, I sort of think, okay, it would have been good to get Maxwell in, but Head's done really well for Australia in the last six months. Green's well, a, a performer, you know, great all-rounder. So, yeah, I sort of think that's good for the team.
2: But you can have both. I absolutely agree that you want to foster a, foster a great culture in the dressing room and it, uh, performances do need to be respected. Uh, but the way you respect performances is you pick the best 11. And occasionally that might mean that someone misses out in a slightly harsh way, but that's that's the way it's got to be. And you can explain it to them in a proper way, in a way that's not going to destabilise the, the dressing room mood. And I just think if you were picking a test side for the next match, and your life depended on it. Um, I think you'd find a way to bring Maxwell into the side because his bowling will be very effective on those wickets, and his batting will be very effective. I think he offers more than Stark would offer, for example, mm. in the in the next test match. And I think it's strange as well that spinners are so kind of discriminated against. Because if if you had a test match at the Wacker, and it was followed by another test match at the Wacker, and in that first test, Australia picked two spinners, and sure enough, it was a trampoline bouncing. Um, fast bowlers paradise and the spinners didn't really do much you would just naturally drop them both for the next test you wouldn't give it a second thought yet because we sort of feel like you, you must have fast bowlers that we would never even contemplate doing that all mm. I'm saying is that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the craziest argument to say that you should emit both Stark and Cummins from the next test match have green if you need any CM up bowling but the reality <laughs> might be
1: what, what, why is that funny because you know, I, was, I was just starting to come around to maybe dropping one of Stark or Cummins and now it's, he's, you've gone the next card, drop them both.
2: No, it, well, it drop's the wrong word. It would be to say, if this pitch, if the second test pitch looks like it's going to be the same, they put the stats up. Gaul has the second best record of any pitch on earth for spinners. Um. And so, as I said, it, comparisons in, to the whacker are apt. You would never pick two spinners in the whacker. and I'm talking about the whacker of the 1980s in its heyday. You wouldn't pick one. Why should you pick two quicks when you've already got a third one, um, Green, who could do a, um, a decent job? I just think if, if we're going to have the same thing in the second Test match where Cummins and Stark between them bowl, um, what was it, 21, 23 overs between them in the match and take two wickets when Travis Head is bowling unplayable balls that you'd be far better off bringing in Maxwell and bringing in another batter. Um, And look, they're not going to do it and maybe it's a bit too far, but at least take drop one of them.
1: Um, I'd remove Stark and bring in Maxwell. And I think the side would be better for that. Yeah. I I would do the same. I would, drop Stark for the next match and bring in Maxwell. I think that's a an astute selection. But, again, I mean, if, if um, you know, you, you've won me over on your argument, you're you pr- basically picking Cummins now because he's the skipper because if you're actually picking a more balanced team, you would pick Stark and you got Green as the right-arm opening bowler and Cummins sits out and Captain Grumpy, Steve Smith gets another shot. <laughs> well, part of the reason I'd pick Cummins is you batted well. <laughs> it's
2: true. <laughs> um, he's, he's batting is uh, who are we going to pick English or someone? Um, I, I think maybe Cummins' um overall package might maybe maybe might offer more. And can I just say for those of you who think that the idea of dropping a a fast bowler to bring in a batter in this in this circumstance in these circumstances is crazy. And if Stark takes five wickets in the next test match and wins the match for Australia, which I hope he does, I don't want to have to. Wa- I don't want to have to want him to fail when I watch that match. So <laughs> please address all correspondence to manners if that happens. <laughs> yeah, no, we just want to be
1: right all the time. We yes. don't care about the Australian team. We want to be right and have excuses if we're wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, but going back to my original point, I think Australia will just pick the same side. Now, um, undoubtedly. So Sh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. After a fifteen-minute discussion about it, um, so Sh- um, Sri Lanka um, won the toss, elected to bat. Uh, they went for just one pass, f- fast bowler, Esitha Fernando. Then they had em- embledania van der and, uh, Mendes and uh, Ramesh Mendes as the uh, three bowlers. So no s- real surprises with the bowling attack. Um, a fine counter-attacking innings by Dick Weller, the wicketkeeper, who made 58 off 59 after Sri Lanka was 97 for five. Uh, the leading wicket take. So they were all out for 212 on the first day. Stark took one for 31. Cummins one for 25. Swepson three for fifty-five, including two in two balls. They were jaffers. They, they were terrific league spinners to get those two in two. That
2: oh, was a great moment. And the catch that Warner took, juggling it to get the second one to get him onto a hat trick. Yeah, it was really electrifying stuff.
1: Yeah, great stuff. And then Nathan Lyon five for ninety, his twentieth five wicket haul. He finished the match with nine for one twenty one, and is now tenth on the all time leading wicket takers. I thought he actually bowled superbly right throughout this match, even though the shranken batters took him on.
2: Yeah, I think he bowled well, and. um all credit to him after the final test match in Pakistan where he won us the game as well. To take nine wickets in this match um, is, is excellent. No, I, look, I mean, we've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of selection and um, I, I want to stress as well, this was a great win by the Aussies. Like really mm. com- looking at some of the, the recent performances, that that 2016 tour where Australia lost all three tosses and lost all three matches on you know, violently spinning pitches um, and I liked Cummins's press conference or his uh, presentation afterwards, where he uh, made mention of the how proactive and how brave the Australian uh, batters had been. And I think that's a really good point that um, you look at some of the strike rates of the of the players who in the Australian innings, that Green going along at a strike rate of seventy one, Carey going along at a strike rate of ninety six, um, th- those two substantial contributions, Kawaja at the top of the order. I mean, right at this moment, He's the best batsman in, in Australia, isn't
1: he? Yes, and um, I heard the radio commentary making a point that he's, he's one of the – like his average opening the batting for Australia is as good as any opener to ever play for Australia um, – so, yeah, Australia- the overall
2: average I mean it, it got a, it, it would be nudging 48 now like it, mm. he's got he's gone from an overall average of around the 40 mark to suddenly knocking on the door of of, of 50 which, which has always been the you know the, the test of greatness so it's been an incredible rise since the return since his return um just a few months ago
1: that's right um so Kawaja and warner got Australia off to a rapid start then they put on 47 inside 10 overs um Warner was out for 25. Then Labashain was out for 13, reverse sweeping straight to a fielder. Probably not the best shot, but uh, you, that was their game yeah, plan. Yeah, you got a score though, yeah. It's just, I think, usually you reverse sweep to open up both sides of the field, but there was a fielder there, so it's... It, true, true. Um, and then Steve Smith. So, controversial moment. Steve Smith gets run out for six. Um, it looked like Bob Kawaja. Barbecued him and ran him out. This was still on the first day. We haven't even got to the second day yet. Uh, And Smith was remonstrating. He was visibly upset. He looked, you know, seemed to be looking across at Kawaja a lot. I said a few things. I guess, firstly, on the run out, whose fault do you think it was?
2: I found it hard to judge because um, on the first live viewing, I thought it might have been more Smith's fault than Kawaja's. But, and I actually, it was around about the time when. I was watching it on delay and it was about two in the morning and I was starting to fall asleep and I didn't actually see the, did they go into it in great um, forensic detail on the replays? Did they show a, um, a reverse angle to see the calls that Kawaja made? I'm not sure. I, I think it was just a mix up. And I think that um, maybe I thought that maybe Smith was, a, was every bit as much to blame as, as Um What did you think?
1: Well, my analysis seems to, and, and I sort of listened to some of the commentators who might've had access to the stump mic. So I think the way it was, was, you know, Smith played the shot, the ball sort of goes out into the offside. He sort of motions to run it, but puts his hand up and then Kawaja goes, yes. And then um, it was too late and uh, Kawaja sent Smith back then and uh, Smith was run out. So I think, I actually just think it was bad running. Like, I think if Smith had made a loud, decisive call, and it was his call because the ball was in front of square on the offside, then this doesn't happen. So, I I, I probably think it was maybe like fifty-two percent Kawaja's fault and forty-eight percent Smith's. Like, because Kawaja probably should have not called yes. Because, but so yeah, I'm leaning slightly Kawaja. I
2: think what happens in those as well that it's just. Um one player communicates yes or no to the other player and then there becomes this kind of um, pong going effect where once it gets out of control it never gets back in control and I I was saying to you and Julissa in the group chat I I wonder why they never try to do anything about that mix-ups are just accepted as oh well occasionally they happen and it's a result of bad running yeah it's bad running but it's it's almost inevitable once there's that breakdown in communication and, and you've only got a split second in order to to fix it i reckon they should put in a thing it's like if we have a, a practice the moment that there is hesitation or some form of confusion both players are trained to just ignore the run and return to their crease just turn their back on each other go back into their crease, and say we'll squander the run and try to eliminate as many mix up as mix-ups as possible
1: what do you reckon yeah, I don't mind that idea. And I, I do think Australia had in their head they've got to be aggressive, they've got to turn the strike over. Because I think say Australia's batting on the last day of a match to save a game. Probably don't even consider running there. But because they're they're playing, you know, this new style of cricket and being brave, they're looking for every single. So they, they were sort of being ultra aggressive and yeah, I just yeah, I didn't didn't work.
2: Yeah, and I think that's good, but I think that if they have that as a backup saying, let's be ultra-aggressive, get as many runs as we can, but every now and again, if we have to squander a run because, oh, I thought, well, no, I'm going back, um, and mm. at the end of the – At the end of a series, look back and say, well, we had no mix-ups and we might have cost ourselves seven or eight questionable singles. It's a good
1: trade-off, I think. Yeah, and usually when someone's run out, it's that hesitation that's the difference. So you're right to say you should just go back because once you've hesitated, that's when someone gets run out, you know. So uh, it's not a bad call, Mr. Dennett. Thank you. Now, you you weren't all that happy with the way that Smith carried on, were you? No, not at all. I thought it was... Pretty piss poor, actually, and and it reminded me of when he was in Sri Lanka last time as captain, and he was blowing up at first slip every time something had go wrong. And look, he's the vice captain; he's a senior figure in the side. He has every right to be upset when he gets in the dressing room if he needs to blow off a bit of steam or maybe chat to Usman after play. But he should know better that on the field, and and he did it during the season when he um, was. Rep- I think he, you know, there was some comments made about his performance. Um, for Australia in a one day game at the SCG where he shook his head as he was going off. I just think he's got to do better, Paul. And this is, this has probably vindicated the board's decision not to give him back the captaincy.
2: Yeah. I think you've won me round. I was, I wasn't so bothered by it initially. Um, And I'm, I'm never as bothered when players are reacting honestly to something that's a little bit of a flare up. I like that much more than kind of, um, you know, endless sledging. So, I'm sure five minutes after he did it, he regretted it. And I'm sure after play he would have said something to Kwaja. But I agree with you. He shouldn't have he should have been able to handle it better. And it was an example of why he didn't make part of the reason why he didn't make a great captain. It's quite interesting watching England and um India in the first day last night. There was um Potts got a, a nick and it was spilled by Crawley, a, a tough catch it in the slips. And Stokes ran up with the biggest grin on his face and sort of hugs Potts as if to say, that's it, mate, keep it in that area and you'll get wickets. And, I mean, England just seemed to be the happiest dressing room I've ever seen. But it was quite telling that I don't think ever as captain whatever Smith would have been reacting the way that Stokes did at that point.
1: Hmm. I, I wonder which... Senior member of the Australian side was tasked with going up to Smith and having a word with him about that behavior. You know, would Pat Cummins have taken it, uh, taken the responsibility, and maybe later that night asked Smith if they could go for a coffee or the next day or whatever? Because, or was it Andrew McDonald? But, you know, I'd be, I'd love to be a fly in the back room to see, you know, how that played out because someone in that side would have had to counsel him about that behavior. Someone could have taken it aside and said, "Mate, we really want to get
2: Maxwell into the side for the next test. We're not sure who to drop, and we're thinking maybe um, maybe we should drop Cameron Green. But the thing we like about him is that he never gets angry and carries <laughs> on like a psychopath
1: <laughs> when he gets run out.
2: So, have you got anyone idea who we should drop?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so very disappointing from Smith. Um, I think I think that I think the century drought is starting to get to him. I think he. And also he knows he's the best player of spin in the top six. Um, and, yeah, I think he felt the pressure there. He did look good for his 11 balls. Um, he did, didn't he? <laughs> he was a very good six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean,
2: oh, yeah, we we both predicted he wasn't going to have a great series and we were both hoped we were wrong. Uh, pretty unfortunate to get run out. So let's, yeah, let's hope he gets some runs in the second test.
1: Yeah, so um so then you're right. Early the second day, head gets out, just punting a ball back um to uh yeah, Sil- Dan and Jay De Silva, the part-timer. So um I thought Head didn't look great with the bat. I know it was only 16 balls, but he didn't look to have a as strong method as some of the other Australian players. It's tough as well that um
2: he's gonna struggle in the in the second innings of matches. Not that he had to bat this time, but all our left-handers, I think, are going to struggle in second innings where there's potentially some footmarks as well. But, yeah, you're right, um, didn't look all that good. And uh, you can certainly say I was, my um, clamouring
1: for Maxwell certainly didn't drop at that point. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Green comes out and, and plays a, a brilliant inning, 77 off 109 balls, um, six boundaries. What I loved about Green's innings was he used his big stride. So he was driving the spinners, but when – that the wasn't there to drive. He was lunging forward and sweeping. And sometimes you were, I had my heart in my mouth because I thought he was going to miss it and get plumb LBW, but he'd, he'd get a bit of bat on it. But I thought it it reminded me a bit of Kevin Peterson, um, just the way he'd used a big stride to play the spinners and uh, probably the best test innings I've seen him play. I would have been good to have Ian
2: Chappell commentating it because he would have gone berserk, I reckon, at the, the Sri Lankan methods, that they were just content to allow him to take the singles easily as though singles didn't count. And Ciappelli always says, as a fielding captain, your number one priority is obviously to take wickets, but closely followed, number two, is to stop singles. Number three priority, a long way below, is to stop boundaries. And they had it the wrong way out there, that in, inside-out field. They needed to bring in two or three and say to him, if you want to go over the top, go for it. But he was just playing with great pragmatism. Um, and, yeah, of, of all the players... Again, Cummins talked about it in the in the post match pre- press conference. These first sort of um, innings in these kinds of conditions, and players over the years have really struggled uh, to to get seventy seven, was um, fantastic, and it was good that they gave him man and gave him the player of the match award.
1: Yeah, um, uh, I was surprised Lyon didn't get it. Or anyway, uh, but then um, I thought Alex Carey for me played the innings of the of the match. Um, he, he comes in with Australia. What were they? Uh, five for 157. So it's still, you know, still 60 odd behind. And he just scored at a runner ball, 45 of 47. He didn't let the spinners settle. He was sweeping, reverse sweeping. It was just a, a, a Gilchrist-like counter attack. And and then when he gets out, Australia's um, in the lead, six for 241, and the the game's totally turned on, turned around.
2: Yep, and that's
1: a, a mark of the,
2: the the smart play that the Australians have over there, that in the, in the past, a player in that situation, uh, obviously not, not Gilchrist, but other players would have felt the pressure of, well, we've really got to value our wicket here and, and grind it out. That, but a, a good 45 at a runner ball over there is is worth 100.
1: Yep, and, uh, and then there's some nice little contributions. Uh, Cummins, 26, three sixes um, to end day two, line 15 not out. Uh, it was it was quite bizarre at the end of the second day. Cummins hit this massive six out of the ground and then they went off for bad light.
2: Malcolm Kahn wrote a good ar- article about it and saying, you know, <laughs> how's that bad light when he's hit one of the biggest sixes anyone's ever seen. And that this is at a time where cricket Australia is um, potentially in, ga- in danger of losing its broadcast deal. We always talk about test cricket struggling. Um, they've got to do better. And the other, you've got to protect the, the safety of the players and, It'd be a bad look if there was a, a, a massive swipe from Cummins and it smashed someone in the head at mid-wicket because they didn't see it. But uh, I've said it many times before. Um, rather than going off, just switch to the pink ball and uh, on you go. It would be far, mm. far, far better.
1: So Australia all out for 321, a lead of 109. I, I wasn't impressed with the Sri Lankan spinners. Emble Denny at 15 overs, none for 73. Uh, Mendes, 32 overs, 4 for 112. Van de Say, 10 overs, 2 for 68. I don't think they responded at all well to the pressure that the Australian batters put on them. And, yeah, actually, you know, I think Australia's spinners outbowled, shrank, and spinners comfortably.
2: Yeah, and I don't know why they – I mean, um, they'd be better off getting um, – I've forgotten his name – the – they're they're good off they're good off spinner from the the t twenty um the the number one in the world um
1: oh, had to um, – Hatteras uh, don't want to get his name wrong Hatter, um, just yeah, yeah, I, I I'll, on.
2: I'll, yeah I've got a, I've had a a, a mental break, break but um I you know m- maybe they'd be get better off getting him in the side because uh, Emble Denier has to be dropped he looked just woeful and the Australians were just milking him and that was um that was bizarre so I thought Mendes looked all right. Um, I thought mm. that he was definitely, um, uh, definitely
1: the pick of them. And then the Sri Lanka comes out before lunch on the third day, and uh, well, they had a, suffered a big blow. I mean, no one's talking about this, but they lost Angelo Matthews um, ten minutes before play on the third, th- ten minutes before play on the third day due to a, co- a positive COVID test. So, Oshada Fernando came in at the last minute, so that's. That's a big blow, losing one of your best players. Um, And then they were just rock and roll for 113 and 22.5 overs. Um, The wicket-takers Lyon four for 31, Swepson two for 34, Ed four for 10. Hadn't taken a test wicket, ends with four for 10. Australia uh, just needed um, five to win. They ended up. 10 for none, Warner 10 not out. Australia won the game inside 154 overs. Just extraordinary.
2: Yep. Uh, Hasaranga. Went into Hasaranga is the guy's name. Um, uh, so, yeah, maybe they'd be better off making some changes in the next test, but um, – and. It, I heard the stat after the innings; it was the shortest innings that Sri Lanka has ever played in Test cricket history in terms of number of overs faced their second innings. So, um, pretty disappointing from the Sri Lankans. I know you've got to be—we've been praising the Australians for being brave and bold—and um, the pitch was starting to spin a lot. But I think that they—they'd that be pretty disappointed with the way that they batted in the second innings. I think.
1: Oh, it was shocking! It was—it was awful. I mean, we—I we, just some of the stroke play was was just diabolical but it seemed like they just no one could pull their head in even for a few overs and and they just kept i almost thought they'd get like this they just given up like once they lost matthews and once they lost a few wickets they were just like well we'll we'll go down blazing and um it just never worked and it's a you know that i felt that if, if they could get maybe 150 in front they had a real chance at putting some pressure on australia with the ball ragging um
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, look at day three—the um, morning of day three—and Travis Head is unplayable. What would that pitch have been like after, you know, um, on day four? I mean, it was never going to get to day five. But wow, that's um, would have been interesting to watch it on day five. That pitch.
1: Mm. Um, it was a great catch. Um, was it David Warner? Now, who was it um, in the second innings? Maybe offline. Anyway, um, some some good fielding, good performances by the Australians. Um, they they would have had a great all afternoon to celebrate. Man, the player of the match was Cameron Green. The game was, um, you know, thirty wickets fell in six sessions. Um, uh, it was Labuschagne.
2: Labuschagne took the that's catch. That's it. Yeah, Dequela and Labuschagne dives and took it, and they had to check whether it um, caught it. Yeah, it was a really good catch.
1: So just a just a. Dominant performance from the Aussies. They they go 1-0 up in the series. Um, I I, I thought everyone performed well. Lyon now the 10th leading wicket-taker in history. Uh, Yeah, I I sort of reflect on Lyon's career. And, you know, the last few tours of Asia, he's, he's really done well. And, you know, he did well in Pakistan. And then he did well. He did pretty well when Australia was in India in 2017. So... Look, he's become the all-round package. Yeah, it's incredible. Tenth most wickets of all time. That's uh, some stat. It was in Sri
2: Lanka that he got his first wicket with his first ball, wasn't it? Um,
1: Yeah, at goal. Yeah, at goal, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, So he's now level with Dale Stane on 439 test wickets. Um, He has 25 wicket hauls. Only four other Australians have done that. Yeah. Who'd you yeah, rather face so, an over
2: of Dale Stane or Nathan Lyon? <laughs> just
1: joking. Yeah, well, I think we know who the better bowler <laughs> is. I mean, I, I was looking at Dale Stane's record recently because he was on a podcast, and I was just looking at his. I mean, he, he's just—he's just the most incredible destructive bowler, Dale Stane. I don't think I appreciated maybe just how good he was. Um, it, you know, he, he missed the last tour of, to Australia with an injury, which was a shame. But um, yeah, he's—he's uh, he's, He's incredi- incredible. Oh, breaking news, Paul. Just mm-hmm. an update from the Sri Lanka tour. Ashton has been ruled out of the second test. No, so there that's you disappointing. Go. I forgot John Holland. F- yep. So he won't be able to
2: play. But he would be the, test. I would definitely have picked him if he was fit. Hmm. Um,
1: all right, so um, we'll stain that yeah, the,
2: the, the one thing about him is that we talk about it, that strike rate of, uh, I've just looked it up now, took his wickets at a strike rate of 42.3 and uh, actually Rabada's up there as well at 40.7. Um, but they are kind of, when whenever you look at great bowlers, Anyone who's doing really well, you know, they're doing well because everyone who surrounds them's from um, the dim distant past. Because back in the mm. 1800s, the the pitches were so much more difficult. But yeah, he's right up there. You know, that's a, a wicket every seven overs. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty special.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's it. Um, the second test starts on Friday. So there's actually a big gap now because the test finished so early. Um, got almost a week between um, the first and the second test. We did, talked about this: what Australia might do. Sri Lanka have to do something and they'll be really hoping Angelo Matthews recovers from COVID and is fit and available.
2: Yeah, Um yeah, uh, I think that they do need to make some changes to their spin bowling department as well. And same as same as with us. I know I know that Fernando got a couple of wickets and there's a bit of reverse swing for him and he got rid of um, Cummins and um, Swepson at the end of the Australian innings. But I still, yeah, I'm not even sure if they need him in the side. All
1: right, a couple of bits of news um, before we wrap this up. I wanted to touch on this last time Paul and I recorded, but I forgot about it. The oh, IPL.
2: Sorry, one other, just because just, well, we were switching topics, I just wanted to say one other thing. the, the That moment that Travis Head got Dan and Jay a Silver Plum and uh, Kumar Dhammasan, yeah. who's normally a pretty good umpire, but he didn't have the greatest of matches, <laughs> he gave that nod out. Um, so for anyone who thinks, anyone out there who still doesn't like DRS... Um, Get someone who knows how streaming works to 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 show get the match up and search, see see if you can um, show you how to watch it. And if you, you know, obviously, you wouldn't own a laptop yourself. But um, see if you can watch it and just see that. Imagine if there'd been no DRS, the uh, the rancor that would have occurred, how angry the Aussies would have been, and all you know, the lovely sort of vibe that this series is play, is being played in would have vanished. So, another win for DRS. I just wanted to make that point.
1: I mean, I, I was looking at that. Yeah, if he's not going to give that out, what what is he going to give out? Shoulders, arms in front of middle stump back. I mean, it was the most plum LBW. It was just unimaginable that he wouldn't give it not he would give it not out. And I, I heard I heard someone criticising the umpires because you think they've they've got a bit lazy with DRS. And by well, looking at that one, I'd have to agree.
2: Now they've got better with DRS because in the old days they could just give not out and the commentators, oh yeah, it was probably missing leg. And you look at the replays now and realize it was plum. I just think he had a shocker. And people would say, oh, well, you know, that was just an umpiring mistake. But yeah, they make mistakes. Guess who also made a mistake? The batter. <laughs> it was a pretty ordinary shot as well. That's
1: it. Um all right so yeah the IPL broadcast deal some stunning figures and a stunning deal it will change the landscape of cricket in the world uh, do you have any like figures um Paul I do I
2: do um I've converted everything to Australian dollars um it, it was a bit confusing because you never know whether they're talking about in uh, American dollars or rupees so everything Australian dollars uh so as far as um just the television rights only uh Star India who were the the previous owners have won the deal again they're paying 4.4 billion australian dollars over the next five years um and then interestingly the uh, viacom 18 have got the digital streaming rights for the next five years for slightly more they're paying 4.5 billion dollars for the next five years of that. So I think it's rather significant. (laughs) There are many things about this that are significant, but one of them is that already the digital rights are worth slightly more than the television rights, which is an indicator of the way that the world is going. But it's the best part of $9 billion Australian for the next five years across TV rights and streaming. That's $21.5 million per game. Now you can see, you can see why the um, the BCCI tried to play through COVID. Uh, and I, I know that that's more than the, the existing rights, but that is um, a significant amount of money. There's also a third domestic package, which I think is still yet to be sold, where they're going to offer non-exclusive rights to stream 18 of the most uh, sort of high-profile matches. So they could they'll make a little bit more money um, than that. But just to give you an example of just how much uh, growth that is. Um, and I'll switch to Indian rupees briefly, that in the last TV deal, um, the star bought the entire digital rights and television rights for 163.5 billion rupees. This time round, they've paid 235 billion rupees, so 70 billion rupees more. And they've only got the TV rights. So they've, they've, that's just an incredible amount of, of, of money. Uh, and the final comparison, um, as I said, it works out at uh, $21.5 million Australian per game. That's the second highest sports league in the world per game figure. The only one bigger is the NFL, which recently signed an Australian... One hundred and sixty-six billion dollar deal for the next eleven years. That's a that's a sixth of a trillion dollars for the next eleven years. When you work it all out, theirs comes down to fifty-two and a half million dollars a game. So it's fifty-two and a half million dollars a game. Second place is the um, the IPL twenty-one and a half
1: million dollars per game. I think third place is the English Premier League. Mm. Um, But they are extraordinary figures. I think um, there will be far-reaching consequences to this deal, especially in Australian cricket. So already there seems to be um, a bigger window about to happen for the IPL. So, you know, it's sort of six to eight weeks at the moment. That's going to be pushed to 10 weeks soon, that there'll be an IPL window where you'll see very, basically no international cricket for 10 weeks. Um, so that's going to happen, and then um, and that could be stretched out more. Maybe the IPL want two and a half months soon, and then they'll ask for three months. So, and then who knows where it could go? Yep. And I think that this has crossed a threshold as well. That up till now,
2: it's been the players who've been from the the sort of less financially the less less affluent nations who've been really prime for the picking for the IPL. That you look at players from South Africa or the West Indies where an IPL deal is life changing and massive compared to their annual salaries that they would get from their own cricket boards up till now, that hasn't quite been the case in places like Australia. It's still huge money for the, for two or three months, but the it's been roughly sort of um, in the same ballpark as what they'd be earning um, for their national side as well. If this flows through eventually, as I'm sure it will at some point in the not too distant future to player wages, then the 3 million dollars or whatever it was reported that pat cummins was getting if that dump, bumps up to 6 million or 7 million and if regular players start to be getting 2 or 3 million then you know the, the the luster of the australian contract starts to diminish and uh yeah i think it really it's great on the one hand for for cricket but on the other hand as a as a lover of test cricket you just hope that india keep the love for test cricket going and don't um, don't allow this deal to start to destroy it
1: no. Do you think there's a chance that cricket could end up being a bit like international football where national sides are really fighting with clubs to to be allowed to use a player? I mean, if uh, international cricket is getting played, as you say, six $7 million to play in the IPL for a season, they might say, look, mate, we don't want you playing a lot of international cricket. We want you coming here fresh. Uh, it's a very good point. And, and also allied with your point about the the – the potential increase
2: in the, uh, in the length of the season at the moment, it still feels like it's just, Oh, it's a brief little window where it's on. But if they start to push that out to um, three and a half months or four months, it it soon starts to get not too different to, you know, like a season of NFL, which um, isn't actually all that long, but it starts to become more than just a boutique little window. It's, It's the bread and butter of, of the sport. And who knows what the, Um, who knows what the outcome will be. Um, It's funny, I was thinking about it how in 2007, there were all the 30-year documentaries about World Series cricket and Channel 9 sort of talking about the revolution and everything else. And you look back now and it's kind of like, It'd be like people attending a 25th anniversary of the start of World War I in 1939 saying, well, that was the war to end all wars. You know, the revolution is over. <laughs> um, everything's changed and suddenly a much, much, much bigger revolution is about to occur. Well, the Second World War wasn't a revolution, but you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, I, I I just think that um, it would be – I'm willing for the IPL to get bigger and bigger and bigger and – if it means that test cricket has to change a little bit and that there are fewer series involving some of the, the nations that don't kind of generate as much money, that's okay. As long as that there's enough of it still at the premium level and if things like the IPL can kind of help prop it up, that's better. Because for me, as much as the IPL is entertaining and I really do enjoy watching it, it's, it's not the same as international cricket. I, I find the same thing with soccer. Like, I, I quite like I, – I like soccer a lot um, – And if I'm watching sort of Manchester United versus, um, well, Manchester United are no longer probably the ones that you'd pick. But if I was watching Manchester City versus Chelsea, uh, the fact that all the players are not from the Manchester City area or the Chelsea area, and it's just kind of um, people from all over the world who've been brought in, it does diminish it a little bit for me. And there's something that international sport has a a level of significance that – club sport doesn't have and maybe club sport did have when they all came from the local area so when it's kind of Mumbai Indians everyone's coming from all around the world to play for them and it's it's and it is a product and it is a sort of manufactured everything else I have no problem with any of that but I find it hard to feel like it matters as much as um, a test match between Australia and India seems to me still to to have some sort of bigger significance than just the entertainment factor.
1: Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with you about the significance of test matches. And I think we will see some aspects of international cricket whittled down to just the big series that, as you say, the ones that generate money. Um, I mean, I've got two points. A, that there's a there'll be a player drain now because it'll be so lucrative to play on the T20 circuit. I think there'll be a lot of players who go down the avenue of not being too fussed whether they play for their country, especially the the cricketers that aren't say classically, say, a test batter mm. or a bowler that are, you, you know, you you say you're Tim Davids, you're big hitting all-rounders, just made for T20 cricket. I think they'll just try their luck. They'll, they'll throw themselves out there into T20 leagues around the world. And we've seen the, the way to do it. If you go to, say, an, a big bash or a CPL and perform, then the IPL goes, all right, well, we'll give you a contract. You've, you've proven your chops. So I think we'll see a player drain and especially from the smaller countries. I'm sure it's already that way. I'm sure that if you interviewed 13-year-old kids about their
2: future uh, and asked them for their dreams, that their dreams would be very, very different to the cricketers of 30 years ago who would have all, oh, I want to play for my country, I want to play test cricket. I'm sure all of them now would be saying, I want to play in the IPL and make an absolute fortune. Mm -hmm. And it's you know, it's fun. Like, I mean, the, the notion of having to grind out 100 over seven hours against fast bowling and get 15 different bruises and um, exhaust yourself versus, oh, I'll just go out there and bang, 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 I've hit four sixes and I've scored 30 off 15 and that's the job done. Um, it's a lot easier uh, and it's a lot more fun. So I'm sure that's the way that that people are starting to think. I wouldn't mind if 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 the whittling down of international cricket was to whittle down some of the meaningless 50-over um, matches. I think that's hopefully what this will um, cause, a reduction in bilateral 50-over series rather than a, a meaningful reduction in test series.
1: Well, this kind of then leads into my other big fear, that the fact that the Indian... Indian cricket is generating so much money for their domestic competition. Will there be the same impetus from the Indian national side to tour overseas and play? I mean, they are, they're they're a great team. They're always in action, playing series all over the place. Now will the revenue be, you know, now that the money's all coming from the IPL, will we see less of the Indian team playing international cricket?
2: It's a good point. Um I think there's always that risk that while Coley was captain and he loved test cricket, there was a feeling of that was going to be respected. And I, I think that they want to respect it, but all it would take now as well would be a dispute. And if India suddenly feel like they've, um, you know, we've seen examples of it. We saw it when India were out here with the Queensland border restrictions and the quarantine and whatever else, and they weren't happy about it. There's, there'd be always the temptation now for them to just say, well, guys... We can always go and we are absolutely fine because we've got an absolutely incredibly lucrative competition that we can just play in and we can extend it for nine months if we want to. So there's always that kind of, the, you know, the, the, they hold the power. And there's nothing wrong with that because they, of course they hold the power. They're 1.4 billion people um, in a cricket-loving country that dwarfs everywhere else in the world. So that's, I'm absolutely fine with that. I just hope that their administrators keep on realising that it's in also in their own interests for Test cricket to still prosper. I mean, Gideon Haig's lineup was uh, line was T um, Twenty cricket needs something to be shorter than um, you know that if it's just T Twenty, I don't know, it starts to lose a bit. You might say, well, there's T Ten that it can be <laughs> that, that yeah. uh, T Twenty cricket can be um, in in place of, but yeah, um, who knows what the world what the future holds.
1: So I guess to sum up my feelings, Paul, I'm I'm happy that so much money is coming into cricket. The fact that, you know, the second richest competition in the world is now a cricket competition. As, as a lover of the game, I'm happy about that. Uh, I'm happy that if you're a, an aspiring cricketer growing up in the world now, you know, there's so many ways to make money and make a living. You're not just relying on. Um, you know, your national board to pick you. And, you know, there's just more opportunities for cricketers now. There's more opportunities for coaches. I mean, we could keep going, but it's all, you know, the IPL drains a lot of the best coaches from around the world as well. So there are implications. But I, I guess I am just worried about, you know, you know when we're recording Cricket Unfiltered in 2030, uh, what the game will be like.
2: Mm. Our friend Patrick Governor always said that eventually the Ashes will be um, a 5 a five-match T20 series between Mumbai Indians and Chennai Super Kings. So hopefully that hasn't (laughs) happened by
1: 2030. (laughs) Uh, And then the the, the final bit of news I want to touch on is the – staying with broadcasting, um, Channel 7, who, uh, for those overseas listeners, have the rights to test cricket and uh, a majority of the BBL have taken – are taking Cricket Australia to court um, and they're alleging that Cricket Australia has not delivered an appropriate standard of the big bash and uh, looking, I guess, to get out of their contract and maybe they want some money back. Um, Very concerning, Paul, to have this sort of breakdown between the the free-to-air broadcaster and Cricket Australia.
2: Yeah. um, I'm not as concerned about it as I was when I first heard about it. I think that um, also in the reporting they've talked about that when the next TV deal comes up, that Channel 7 may well still bid for it. So it's more like it's not as though cricket itself has become uh, uncommercially viable. I just think that they're not happy with this current deal. And so that ring fences the concern a little bit for me. You know, I'm happy for them to um, biff it out and uh, and hammer it out in the courts if, if if they feel that way. But the fact that also in the, in, the, in the longer term, they'd still be willing to bid for it again shows that it still is – a lucrative sport to broadcast and uh, who knows what the future holds because I think in 10 years, it'll all be digital. It'll all be streaming. And um, maybe the concept of free-to-wear television will be rapidly, vastly different to what we know today. But at the moment in Australia, it's still the king that if, um, you know, if you don't want to offend too many free-to-wear networks, because we've only got three big ones um, and cricket Australia were very harsh in their treatment of channel 10, uh, channel 9 were kind of happy to see the back of them channel seven are now taking them to court. So on the face of it, geez, um, The last thing we would need is some, uh, you know, Amazon or Apple or someone to scoop in and um, get the rights to cricket going forward, because at the moment that would be a disaster, because there are still plenty of people who just switch on the TV as if it was 1985. But that era is dying. uh, And, you know, who knows what the the, the longer term holds
1: well it seems to be channel seven's main complaint is around the big bash and apparently in the contract that cricket australia promised to deliver a, a certain quality of competition you know an international world-class competition and then if you do you believe some of the reporting from say ben horn who's been on this podcast many times listeners will remember him is that Chief Cricket writer for News Corp. He's detailing that Channel 7 are not happy with the standard of players, especially last season and under the COVID um, situation where there were sort of teachers and stuff playing. That's, and then also in the, in the, in the, the um, stuff prepared by Channel 7 for court, um, you know, they, they were also very unhappy that Steve Smith wasn't allowed to play in the, in the big bash last year. And if that's not the the biggest own goal or stuff up from Cricket Australia of last year, I don't know what is, but uh, it seems to be around the big bash. As you say, test cricket is still very lucrative and the ratings have gone up, but the big bash is um, suffering and Channel 7 also seemed to have documentation from uh, that, that, from Cricket Australia, that they were concerned about the Big Bash as well.
2: Yeah, that's Steve Smith thing. It needed Kerry Packer. Kerry Packer alive, you would have just rung up the head of Cricket Australia. Smith's playing, um, and that's you know that would have been, <laughs> that would have been the end of it. Um, Cricket Australia, yeah, they stuffed up on that. Um, but I, I think it's true that last summer the Big Bash did fall off a cliff. That and the ratings bore that out. That even in the previous summer when things hadn't been quite as good. The the decline from the peak wasn't that significant as far as TV ratings were concerned. And then last summer everyone lost interest because there were, as you say, teachers and whatever part-timers playing. But I, I think that was just COVID. It was just it was extraordinary circumstances. And the Smith debacle aside, I think Cricket Australia scrambled reasonably well to to put a decent um put a decent showing up. I I think next season, this coming season is going to be key that um, Mm. if they can get the Australian players playing and the, um, the draft goes up successfully, then I think it will be um, a much closer to what it, you know, to back towards its peak. And hopefully the next TV deal, it is channel 10 that they've talked about getting it again. I'd love it. If it just all went back to free to air channel 10 showed it every night, then that was what worked. I think it would work again.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think Channel 7 have a, a little bit of a case to about the Big Bash last year, like you say. So, yeah, look, let's see how it goes. Um, all right, let's just end this recording. Last, we've, I've got a can't let it go from a listener that I wanted to run by you, Paul. This mm-hmm. is from Ronnie Mack on Twitter. He sent us a message. Um, G'day, boys. I've got a can't let it go. Now, I think he was watching the Sri Lanka tour at this stage, and he writes, batting figures, 75 for one. 75 for two as he was typing. So the batting is 75 for two, so 75 runs for two wickets, but the bowling figures are two for 25. Any reason for this? That's his can't let it go. Now, as a stats man, Paul, should, should there be a standard?
2: Well, in Australia there is. It's always um, it's two for 75. It's, um, it's the rest of the world that does it the other way. And I think the rest of the world does it that way because they sort of say, um, you know, you have scored 176 runs for the loss of four wickets versus you have taken five wickets at the cost of 37 runs. And people from England I've heard espouse that argument as though it makes um, all the sense and that theirs is the only way of doing it. And I just say, obviously, ours is the right way of doing it because in the same way that Americans, when they're defending not using metric system, they say, you know, the imperial system is what got humans to the moon. And I'd say our system is what, won us 550 over World Cups. <laughs> <laughs> now, how many World Cups have they won? The rest of the world's won, what, seven or something like that. So, yeah, mm. you know, um, clearly you could draw a direct line between saying two for 75 and test, test and one-day success and more recently yeah. even T20 success.
1: So there you go, Ronnie. and you, Paul would have an answer for you. Um, America, cricket in America is going through the roof. They're building stadiums. They've, they've got the World Cup. There with the West Indies in a few years. Uh, yeah, cricket in America is um on the up, Paul. We might have to relocate to the land of stars and stripes. Yeah, so on the
2: up. I'm not sure if it's going through the roof, but um, it's, <laughs> it's certainly on the up from a from a low base. But you know, the Indian diaspora there would be is significant. So there's there's every reason it could continue to it could continue to grow. One other thing I forgot to mention during the IPL discussion was although it is true that it's the second most lucrative as in a per-game sense, it's not quite an apples-with-apples apples comparison. I'm sure that if the IPL instantly went to the length of the Premier League, um, they would lose. Uh, they'd obviously get more money in total, but the per-game figures would drop because it's just harder to keep that level of interest for, for nine months. So it's slightly um, comparing apples-with-oranges, but it's still an extraordinary figure.
1: Mm, I mean, I, I was just... Um... Looking at it, say per ball. So if it's twenty one million Aussie per ball, and they play, or oh, and you remember, not all games get all the, ball. yeah. So twenty one million dollars per match. Divide that by two forty balls, and not all the games get them all in. It's eighty seven thousand five hundred dollars per ball as Aussie. That's pretty impressive. Yes. <laughs> a lot of money. Um, all righty. Well, um, Troy uh, sent replied to a tweet um, when I said we were going to do the show. He said, I thought you were going on holiday again. Well, Troy, it is actually happening now. So um, Paul and I have had a very serious podcast meeting in the last week, put our heads together. And w- so we're taking a month off now. We'll be back in early August. But then – we have made the the commitment. We'll go back to our regular weekly show from August. Um, so yes, there you go, listeners. We're coming back. Jalisa will come back. Sometimes we'll get guests on.
2: Yeah, it's got to be great. We keep on saying we're about to take a break, and then we keep on doing a podcast. That this maybe maybe in the next couple of days it'll be announced <laughs> that the. <laughs> they're going to go to a five ball over or something and we'll need to do a podcast on that An emergency
1: <laughs> podcast. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, Paul, great to catch up and, uh, we'll be back soon. See you, everyone.
0: On Florida's space coast. We think you can have the best of both worlds kind of like right now driving at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.